the role of governments, who is responsible for the Constitution, how you solve big problems, and what you can do to help America. Irish man stands with America. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Hello, America. Thank you so much for tuning in today. This, of course, is the show where you come for the accent and the Frenchy French accent, oh, wee, 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 and you stay for the principles. And today's been a, or sorry, this week has been a, a rough week. And if you're watching on YouTube, you can see I'm all decked out in black and white because. I join you in mourning because Joe Biden is now your president and Kamala Harris is your is your vice president and it takes something to be vice president and everyone only wants to talk about the kicks you wear. It's, that takes a special talent. But today's show I want to talk to you about something that I think is absolutely key that we need to talk about a lot more going forward. And that is Responsibility. But before I talk to you about some of the issues of the day that's in your country on about responsibility and what your role is and started continuing what I've done over the last couple of weeks and laying out a role for you to change your country, to be a part of your country, to really make positive differences in your country. I think I need to go back in history and explain to you once again why your country is different, why your country is unique and exceptional, how your country's foundation was built on a totally different emphasis and a different set of principles and values than every other country was. And that all boils down to one simple thing. It all boils down to the role of your government. You see, if you go back in time before America was created, before 1776, even before 1600 when the pilgrims left, if you had an issue in society, if you had this great, you know, there was this great tragedy, there was this great series of oppressions, who did you go to? How did you fix us? You see, it was always the same thing. The, the titles changed, the peoples changed, the countries changed, but the answer was always the same. If you had a big issue in society, if you had a grievance, you went to the people in power, the king, the senate, the empire, the monarch, the queen, ever who it was, the countries have different things. The you know the the, the Pharisees, the Pharaoh. Ever who it was, you always went to the person in power and you went and petitioned those in power and said, hey, there's this tragedy, there's this oppression going on, or there's this great grievance I've been put upon, will you help me? And it was built all around that you would hope that when this great grievance happened, that when you would petition the person in charge, the king, let's just use the English example, the king, you hope that the king would be benevolent, would show sympathy, would show you favor, and all of a sudden would go, okay, yes, that's wrong, you need to stop that, or you need to do this. And then the king would rule and intervene. And then you'd be thankfully, oh, thank you, king, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. But government is based around that idea. Government is based around that idea that you need government to be your saviour. You see, what has happened over the last 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 100, 200 years 
As countries have become more democratized, and when I say that, I want to be exactly clear what I mean. I mean, it's not just one person in charge, where you're not just going to the pharaoh, you're not just going to the king or the queen, or you're not just going to the high priest, you're going to a selection of people, elective representatives. What you had was governments getting involved. And the whole aim of governments is to make you helpless. The whole aim of governments is to be your fighter, to be your champion. In Europe, it doesn't matter whether you're left or right. They all believe in government. They all believe in, I'm, your, I'm the government. I'm the right side of government. I'm the left side of government. I'm here to save you. I'm here to fight for you. And it's all built upon, you need me. Whether I'm your elected official, whether I'm your state senator, whether I'm your governor, whether I'm your mayor, whether I'm your prime minister, whether I'm your president, whatever the title is, whether regardless of the country, it's always you need me. That's always a core message. You need me. You need me. And then we continue this lie. You see, that's been the same in Ireland where we have elected officials. We all go around. You need me to be a champion. And we all pick our little causes because whether we're left or right, I'm going to be a champion for the homeless. I'm going to be a champion for the middle class. I'm going to be the champion for the single mothers. I'm going to be a champion for climate change. I'm going to be a champion for the worker. It all changes, but it all revolves down to the same core message. I'm going to be a champion for fill in the blank. And you see, what happens is through the mentality of that accepting that you have to have a fighter, you have to have a savior, is that we become complacent, we become lazy, we become hopeless. Because we look at society and kind of go, oh, there's this problem in society, who's going to fix it? They are. Oh, there's this problem in society, who's going to fix it? They are. Why? Because that's why I pay my taxes, right? That's what I elect them for. They have to solve all that problems. I, I, I'm too busy living. Whether that's an issue like homelessness, whether that's an issue like poverty. Even the church have done this to large parts. The church have just went, yeah, that's the government's job to pretty much fix charity or to fix homelessness or to fix this. They do small token things, but they don't ever roll their sleeves up and go, we're, no, no, government, you don't need to sit, solve poverty. We're going to do it. They don't do it. It causes this hopelessness. It, it appeals to our lesser values of, of laziness. Or maybe it's just hopelessness that we think... You know what? We're all dumbed down. That we can't make a difference. That is what society has been like in every other country. Going back to your founding, America was different. You see, America is not about government. America's role when it started it, when it started the Declaration of Independence, when it started that course to writing the Constitution, when it started the continuing that course of writing the Bill of Rights, it's never role of government was, you know what we need? We need government to be the saviour. We need government to be the heroes. We need government to be the problem solvers in society. They didn't do that. Your founders, if you read any of their writing, were the exact opposite. They saw government's role, primary purpose, as fundamentally opposed to that. It's not to protect you. It's not to give you stuff. It's not to be your savior. Government's fundamental role at the core is to protect your God-given rights from your fellow man. That is what they had. But also, one of the reasons I love your, your founding documents, especially the Declaration of Independence, was because if you read the documents, you really get a glimpse into the soul. You get a glimpse into the soul of people like Thomas Jefferson when he wrote the Declaration of Independence. Because you see, today, if you look around today in 2020, look around in just America, everyone is focused in on their rights. Oh, I have a right to this. 
I have a right to guns. I have a right to contraception. I have a right to free healthcare. I have a right to your money. I have a right. I have a right. I have a right. Yet look around at society and ask yourself, look at how much dialogue is spent on talking about rights. Whether you agree with them or not. And ask yourself, how many people actually talk about responsibilities? You see, your founders were very smart men. Thomas Jefferson, in the Declaration of Independence, not once, but twice, spoke about responsibilities when he spoke about government. It is the right of the people to alter and abolish their government. That sounds great. That's a great right. But then institute new governments. And then he spoke again later on in the main paragraph. He said it not once and twice, but twice. Where he speaks about new guardians, new guards. It's your job. If you want to take it away, fair enough. But you must replace it. Because you have a responsibility. It's an adage that has been true in America so much. That, you know, it's you don't build, you don't tear things down. You build things up. Look at how society has formed. You look at things like socialism. You look at progressivism. You look at leftism. They want to tear everyone down. Oh, you're too big. You're too this. You have too much of a voice. You're starting to see this now and where the left is really taking that mask off in the last 48, 72, 96 hours in your country. The last week in your country, I've been absolutely horrified at some of the stuff I've seen from the left. Where they're talking about, oh, well, do you know what we need? You know, there's too much of these people on YouTube, you know, having too much of a voice. You know, there's more people watching a show on YouTube than there is watching CNN. Hmm, I wonder why that is. That's, 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 a, that's a compelling argument there, isn't it? But where they're starting to silence people like OANN and uh, Newsmax. Why? Because they have things, we have to tear people down. We need to stop this, you know, disinformation campaign. We need to silence you. We need to tear people down. If you have a problem with CNN and you want to make CNN better, it's always, if you look at their mentality, is we always need to take that YouTuber down a peg. Let's say you do actually believe that that YouTuber shouldn't have more views than CNN. Well, it's surely the logical aim is, well, let's see how can we bring CNN up. It never enters the mentality. We always got to tear people down. That is the status progressive agenda. That is what they do. They tear people down. Or oh, you're too rich. You're too big, or you have too much power, or you have too much influence. Let's tear you down. America, the idea is built about building people up. That if you don't think you can compete, then find a new way. It isn't about government being your savior. It isn't about deplatforming people. It isn't about bringing people back down. It's about encouraging people, empowering people to say, you have an opportunity. You're all created equal. This is fundamentally about what we need to talk about. And today I want to talk to you about, not about your rights, because we do that a lot on this show and I'm guilty of it, but we need to start talking to you about responsibilities. And I want to share four different stories with you about four different situations. And then I want to talk to you at the end of the show about where we go from here and what your responsibilities should be. And I would ask you to consider them. Responsibilities. Let's start with the biggest one. What your country is all about. The Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, the Bill of Rights. Succinctly put it, as I always call it, the idea of America. 
That idea is precious. That idea changed the world. Whose responsibility is that? But let's just take one of the articles, the Constitution, because this is very easy to discuss. Whose responsibility is it to protect the Constitution? You see, a lot of people, when I ask this question, they always will come up with different versions of the answer. They might talk about, well, it's uh, the president, John. The president has the most power because he has the power to veto. If he thinks you know laws are unconstitutional, he just vetoes them. Okay. Other people might say the Supreme Court. That, you know, con- Congress will pass a law, the president may sign it. But ultimately, you know, if you believe in the Brett Kavanaugh way of life, that the, crown, the Constitution's crown jewel is the Supreme Court. By the way, it's not. It's Article 3 for a reason. But let's just play along with that argument. That it's the Supreme Court that has to, to be the moral arbiter of society. That it's the guardians of the Constitution. Okay. Maybe it's Article 1. Maybe that's where all the power is. A legislative power shall be in Congress. They have the most responsibility to make sure that any bills that they pass and that they put on the president's desk to sign is constitutional that it's you know it's legally it's it's okay it's okay for the president to sign it maybe is it the media's job is it the media's responsibility to hold politicians to account to understand that they placed their you know like joe biden this this week he placed his hand on the bible and his right hand placed a hand on the bible and said i will you know some version of preserve defend and protect the constitution of the united states it's his responsibility. It's their responsibility that they're elected officials. They work for the people. The media should hold them accountable, right? Maybe. Maybe it's the states. Because if you read the Constitution and you read the understanding of the founding fathers and what they believed, that they believed that government should be extremely limited in scope, but where there was a clear and obvious need for government, it should be as close to the people as possible, i.e. federalism, i.e. the Tenth Amendment. That's where the responsibility really lies, John, right? Sure. The answer is all of the above with one additional answer. You see, if you understand the Constitution, the Constitution is not about, hey, one one person or one set of people should be the moral arbiter of society. It's these people who have to protect the Constitution. If you believe in an idea that America is at its core an idea about individual rights and that government's job is to protect these rights... It's not just Article 1 in Congress. It's not just Article 2 in the Presidency. It's not just Article 3 in the Supreme Court. It's not just the states and the federalism. It's not just the media. It's every one of us. How many people abdicate their responsibility to say, hey, it's their job to protect the Constitution? How many people actually understand what's in the Constitution? Honest question. You know, I was talking to someone before I was doing this show and they said, you know, because we're talking about federalism and different ideas and having a, a discussion. And anyway, you know, what? I really would love to see anyone who serves in Congress or in any position of power, if you don't pass a, a test on the Constitution, you shouldn't get out to serve. And I'm like, that's a great idea. It might encourage people to actually understand what their role is in government. But we don't hold them to account. So if you look at the problems that you have in your country right now, and you have many, and you're about to face really dark times... Whose responsibility is it that you've got here? It's easy just to blame a side. It's easy. It's just to go, ah, you're the left. You're the problem. Oh, you're the right. You're the problem. Oh, you're a Trump supporter. You're the problem. Oh, you're an Obama supporter. You're the problem. The truth is you have got here because of a large, large, long, long, long 
list of people violating the Constitution. To the point where it actually literally means nothing. It's mostly for show. It's just a thing we throw out when it suits us. Depending on what side you're on. The left do it just as much as the right. If you look at your constitution, read the documents, and then look at what happens in D.C. Is Article 1 following the constitution? Nope. Is Article 2? Nope. Is Article 3? Nope. Are the states? Nope. Are the media? Oh, yes, CNN and CNN are just awesome. They're all about the constitution at CNN. You know, I don't know about you, but when I need a dose, you know, because I, I, I get turned on by the Constitution. I love it. I love talking about it. Anytime I'm having a lull and I kind of go, I need to hear about the Constitution, I switch on Cuomo and Don Lemon. They're my constitutional go-to guys. They're awesome. But is the media holding people to account? <laughs> no. Are the states? Nope. But how many times do people hold you to account? How many times do the people do? How many people, if you were to do a poll of an American, how many Americans, just 330 million, actually understand the Constitution? 1 million? 2 million? 10 million? 20 million? 50 million? Or is it even less? But is this is not to get you down. This is not to get you all upset about your fellow man. The answer is, I don't know what the number is, but what is the solution to that? Because we need to start talking about solutions. What is the solution to everything I just spoke about? Education. Not re-education. Not send people, oh, you don't know the Constitution. Get into that camp there and learn about it. No. I mean about having conversations. And that conversation always starts with you. That doesn't start with, what we need is people like John on the show, on the blaze, and, and different media people and Glenn Beck to do it. We all have a role to play. I'm not saying I don't have a role. I'm not saying Glenn doesn't have a role. I'm not saying anyone else hasn't got a role. But the biggest role will be with you. You need to start talking to your fellow brothers, your fellow sisters, your family, your community. And start laying out the case of why America is an exceptional nation. And start breeding life back into that powerful idea. We need to start encouraging people to get involved. We need to start promoting it as that idea. That idea that was so powerful that it changed the world. 240 years ago I would argue nearly 400 years ago but that powerful idea of the simple role of government is not to be your saviour it's not to be your hero it's not to be your fighter it's to be your protector of your rights and that where government is needed and there are sometimes government is needed that it works as close to the people as possible so that they have the most say but also it goes so much deeper than that it goes so much deeper than that because I want to share a troubling story with you. You see, part of the problem that I have with your country right now is everything is upside down. Your elections are upside down. Your elections are a farce because you elect people, whether it's Republicans or Democrats, who literally have no, no clue what their job is. And they either, they either overestimate their power or they grossly underestimate their power. And what you're seeing is an a battle of ideologies in Congress right now. You're starting to see a battle of ideologies on the right. Who is the future of your party? And what you're starting to see, and I don't know if you've been reading some of these articles, where you had this guy, this new guy, he's the youngest person in Congress, you know, Cawthorn, who basically said, we can do whatever we want. Is that the Republican Party that you want? 
Or is it Ben Sass is the Republican Party that you want? Where you've got to decide whether you're the party of QAon or the party of Eisenhower. Now let's forget the diss to the right and to QAnon. I don't want to even talk about that. But is if I'm guessing he's like you need to be more like Eisenhower. Is that the role model for the Republican Party? What happened to the Republican Party of Coolidge? What happened to the Republican Party of Lincoln? You're starting to see the answers change. Who wants to be the party of Washington? Who wants to be that party? Who wants to be the party of Coolidge? Or do we start just accept these moderate Republicans? But it goes even deeper than that. I don't talk to you about your elections. I don't talk to you about who to vote for because I'm not your politics guy. But I want to share a story with you. You see, if you looked at your last election, your presidential election, the turnout was pretty big, right? The turnout was estimated at 66.7%, which is, by modern standards, is very, very high. But just think about that for one second. If there's three of you in this room, Two of you only voted. One person couldn't have been bothered. And you multiply that over so many times, over so many hundreds of millions of people. Why is it so many few people vote? Why is it that we've accepted that if two out of every three people vote, that's a high turnout? How can we never can change that? Why is there always a swath of people who just don't vote? How can we reach out to them? But also, if you look at the breakdown of your stats, if you like stats, I'm not going to bore you with numbers, don't worry. But the highest state that had the highest turnout was 80%, which was Minnesota. That's four out of every five. It sounds great, right? Oklahoma had the lowest, with 55%, which is just above one out of every two people voted. I want to talk to you about a story and to show you why your politics is broken. And to show you the responsibility that we need to start encouraging other people, your fellow people, not your politicians or not your media, but your fellow citizens to act upon. In a state, Alabama, 63.1% of people in Alabama voted in the presidential election, whether they voted for Trump or Biden or Jorgensen or I don't know if there was any other candidates on the, on the ballot there. 63%. Sounds great, right? This week, there was a special election. If you actually look at the Constitution, how much power and how much influence the president should have, not what he does have, but what he should have, it's very little. The president has no, no real power, right? This week, there was a special election in District 33 in Alabama of a state reg registrator. This person technically has a lot of say on your life. Why? Because as a legislator in the state house, would potentially be part of the ruling party. Because if the GOP person wins, he'll be part of the ruling party. And could have some influence, could be a key vote. How many people do you think voted for it? It wasn't 63%. It wasn't 60%. It wasn't 50%. It wasn't 40 It wasn't 30 And it wasn't 20 It was 1046 in an election where people actually have a potential say on your life, one out of every ten people voted. Do you see the problem there? Do you see every time that you've accepted, if you look at this, and this will probably happen, maybe it doesn't in 2022, but every presidential election cycle, your vote goes up. But your midterm elections, 2022, 2018, the number actually goes down quite a lot. Why? Because people aren't as enthused to vote about midterm elections as they are about presidential election. 
Do you think that's in right proportion or do you think that's in wrong proportion? Now, I'm not saying here to diss anyone. That's not my style. But my style is to try and talk to you about real problems and talk to you about your responsibility. If you lived in Alabama, should you have voted this week? If you voted for Donald Trump, yes, you should have. If you understand that right now you've got a left a left control of the White House, the Senate and the House. It's now more than ever. I would always it's always important and it's always critical. But now more than ever, it's absolutely critical you practice federalism. That is the one time after all those elections you should have got out and made your voices heard. But how many people have become lax? Oh, John, look, I, I can guarantee you there's people in Alabama who listen to this right now and go, John, look, the Republican was always going to win. I, you know, look, what difference does it make if 10% win or vote and 60% vote? The Republican's always going to win. It's Alabama. Okay. My argument to you is this. First of all, on a principle level, voting. Is that some type of something we should take for granted? Is that something that we should just go, well, look, I'll only vote in the close elections where my voice is actually heard? Or is it something that should be practiced at all times? But secondly, it's about sending a message. Because 2020 is a wake-up call, or should be, to every person who is on the right. You lost, I don't care whether you believe it was right or whether it was wrong, but you have Georgia and Arizona, who are two traditional red states, who are now no longer red. And Georgia lost, you lost two senators. Maybe it's time to actually start taking elections seriously. Maybe it's time to start taking every election seriously. Because this is just one election that happened this week. I've shared this story many times in the show about a person I know, a friend of mine, who lives in Oklahoma. She was a mother, she had kids, she wanted to get involved in politics, and she ran for school board. She won with 75 votes in a state where there was like hundreds of thousands of people who would vote for a senator. How many times do people have interest in your back? How many times will a senator involve themselves in your life? A few, maybe, if you're unlucky or lucky, depending on your, your way of life and your way of thinking. How many times and how much influence do you think someone who's on your school board has in your life? And what your kids have been taught? You want to start re re repeating progressivism? It starts at the states. It starts at the local level. Get involved. Get people encouraged people to vote. Get encouraged people to run. Get people involved, whether it's for your state senate, whether it's for your state house, whether it's for the U.S. Congress, or whether it's for school board, or whether it's for sheriff. You want to start talking about responsibilities? That's where your responsibility has to be when it comes to politics. But it doesn't stop there. about a, a controversial topic that shouldn't be controversial and even if you disagree with my opinion on this topic the principle and the underlying story I think still remains one of the things if you ask people on the right you go who love Donald Trump they'll say you know why do you love Donald Trump and one of the answers that is usually pretty popular and one of the statements gets out well he was the most pro-life president of my lifetime we can debate the merits of that as much as you want but I want to talk to you about a story of a real-life friend of mine. You see, you can have the most pro-life president in your lifetime. Question for you. Planned Parenthood. Do you think the funding went up, or do you think the funding went down under Donald Trump? That's the answer. So even though he's the most pro-life president in your lifetime, 
funding still went up. But this isn't about Donald Trump. This isn't about funding. This is just about making a point. If you want to, most people, when I say this to people, will go, well, you see, it's the left, John. It's the Democrats. It's all about the politics. You know, what you need is you need different people in Congress. You know, this is what you need. Let's assume that's for true. How do you stop abortion? And again, if you don't agree with me on abortion, let's just take change what I'm talking about to another issue. You see, if you look at the vast majority of people who are involved in the pro-life movement, when I don't mean the organizations, I mean the supporters. It's kind of like we're the left, where we virtue signal. Oh, we're pro-life. We put up our little, you know, fancy banners on our profiles. I'm pro-life. And I'm not discouraging it. I think it all should be done. But how do you actually change things? Is it only a political answer? Is that how you stop abortion? Just make it illegal and then all of a sudden... Just the, the need for abortion just goes away. For those who are maybe a bit skeptical of that, I would say, did that work well for prohibition? Just let's ban alcohol. No one will ever want another beer ever again. If we ban vodka, no one will ever want vodka again. If we ban whiskey, no person will ever want whiskey again. Did it work out? Uh, same principle applies to abortion. If we just ban abortion, you can't, you can't kill anyone. Do you think that's going to stop them? Do you think that's going to stop someone who's absolutely desperate? Oh, well, it's banned. You know, if we just pass a law and we ban it, ne- that, n- that, will ne- that never ever comes up. Or does it take a bit more work, just a smidgen more work? And this is where I want to share a story with you of a friend of mine. And I'm not going to share my friend's name. I'm going to, you know, make up a name. You know, I'm going to call him, I don't know, Gary. Gary's a nice name, isn't it? And Gary lives in a really, really red state, traditionally. Maybe not so anymore. It's gone a bit purple and... There's a few issues there. But let's just say he lives in, I don't know, um, just pick a southern state. Let's just say Alabama. You know, any one of those southern red states. You know, those radical right-wingers, right? And this guy has decided, and I salute him and I think he's a great guy for doing it. One of the things he wants to do is he's a big believer in pro-life. He's, he's a big believer in life. He believes life begins at conception. And one of the things he does is he goes to these abortion clinics and stands outside and he prays and they have signs and they basically want to give the women who are thinking about going in to have an abortion that there is other options. There are other solutions. Now one of the things Gary has been doing has been trying to get the local church involved. Whether it's Catholic, Protestant, Baptist, whatever, the, you know, the churches in the area saying, hey look, this is we're an organization, we're part of a bigger network, this is what I'm doing, we want to get involved. What do you think the initial reaction to Gary was? Do you think all the churches are like, that's a great movement, we're going to support you. We're going to be right there with you. When you go to the abortion mill, we're going to be there linking arm in arm with you. Or do you think it was more like, oh, gee, I don't know. I, I think I, I, let me think about it. Now, if you're, if you're a priest or a pastor or reverend or whatever you call yourself in a church that's Christian, if you're like, someone comes to you like, hey, we're doing this to stop abortion because we believe life is precious. And your answer is, we need to think about it. My sincere advice is go look in a window. Go look in a mirror and have a big, long look and see, are you happy? And are you consistent with what's told in the Bible? But how do you change that? You see, here's the thing that always gets to me. I get anger. I hear so many stories from you because you communicate and I talk with you of things that happen in your country, whether it's by priests, whether it's by pastors, whether it's by politicians. I get the anger. 
there are times I literally just want to go, oh my God. And in private conversations, many times I do. I go, are you serious? Or you freaking idiot. In strong, and sometimes in stronger words. But what does that solve? We can all get frustrated. We can all get angry. Anger is not an emotion we are in short supply of in this world. Heck, everyone is angry, it seems. But how do you solve it? How do you solve it? What is our responsibility? If you believe in the pro-life movement, what is our responsibility? Is our responsibility just go, hey, let's just elect this person, this person, and this person, because they're pro-life. And all of a sudden, the issue just goes, poof, goes away. Or this argument that I've heard from so many of my friends on the right, and it's used by politicians to fundraise on the right, and it annoys the crap out of me. Well, what we need is we need Supreme Court justices. And that's why we need President fill-in-the-blank. This is not a Trump thing. This has been going on for years. And what we need is we need to get all these Supreme Court justices, and then we get a great case in front of the Supreme Court, and then we'll overturn Roe versus Wade, and all of a sudden, problem solved. It's a lie, by the way. If, let's say, by magic, tomorrow Roe versus Wade is overturned, and by the way, both sides lie about this because they've got vested interest in it, because it makes money. It's a hot-button issue that gets you a lot of money. If you're ever going to overturn Roe versus Wade, people will donate to you. If they fear oh, Roe versus Wade is going to be overturned, and you don't want that, they will donate money to stop it. But all Roe versus Wade does, it doesn't ban abortion. It doesn't stop abortion. It brings everything back to the states. It brings everything back to the state level, whether a state allows it or doesn't allow it. And again, what's that going to solve? You see, here's the thing that so many of my friends on the left don't get when it comes to racism. And the right are making the exact same thing, issue uh, mistake on so many issues. How do you solve racism? I despise racism. I think, and I've said this so many times, and I don't use insults, but I use insults in this case. If you look at someone, and you judge them based only on the color of their skin, you're an idiot. Because they have absolutely, bar wearing makeup, they have absolutely no control over it. I shared a dream of Martin Luther King, where it says we should judge people on the content of their character. I don't care who you vote for. I don't care your sexuality. I'm a Christian. I have many gay friends. Oh my God, I've got gay friends. Yes, I do. But they base all this thing on racism. What we need to pass new laws. We need good, you know, Biden is doing all this. We need to racial reparations. We need to solve things. You want to know how you solve racism? You get two people talking to each other with respect, with dialogue. Where they understand that, hey, John, you're not just a white person. You're John. You're a Christian. You're straight. You've got a sense of humor. You joke about everything. You've got a wicked dress sense. You're a powerlifter. You start seeing more than my skin color. And you may say everything I just said and like me and go, hey, let's, John, we should be friends. Or you might go, oh my God, John's a hater. I never want to be around. How, how can anyone be like that? That's cool. But you've judged me on the content of my character, not the color of my skin. It works on the opposite side. How do you legislate love? What, you, all of a sudden you think you're going to pass a law that says you can't be racist. Well, that's not going to solve anything. That isn't going to make anything better. All that's going to do is push people to the shadows. Again, did prohibition work? Has the war on drugs worked? When has government saying you can't do something ever, ever worked? It doesn't. You can't legislate love. Likewise, when it comes to abortion, to my friend Gary, he can't. can laws help? Yes. But how do you make the case that life is precious? 
You don't pass a law. A law won't change us. I don't care whether you're Jesus. And we have the ability of Jesus, Thomas Jefferson, James Madison. These are great writers, two great writers, and the Savior, our Savior. I don't care if you just sat them in a room and said, I want you to write me a law that will solve abortion. It won't work because you can't legislate it. We need to start winning ideas. We need to start winning hearts. We need to start winning minds. We need to start winning hearts. We need to start winning souls. And we need to start making the argument. That is the same thing whether you believe in racism, whether you believe in pro-life, whether you believe in the idea of America. We need to start having conversations and changing people's minds. That is our responsibility. It's not just the media. It's not just Donald Trump. It's not just the president. It's not just the Congress. It's not just your state people. It's every one of us. It's our responsibility. We need to start acting like we're responsible for that. Which brings me on to my next point. How do you solve problems? How do you solve problems in society? Look, we can argue about what problems society faces. We may agree on some things. We may agree on all things. We may agree on nothing. But it doesn't matter. Because what it all boils down to is the solution. One of the things I'm seeing in your country right now, and I'm bringing this up even though we've discussed it in the past, because I've seen some of my friends on the right celebrate what other people in Europe have said. And I think you need to understand why they're saying it. Big tech. I take the unpopular stance on this show, and you've let me know about it, where I'm like, big tech can do what it wants. If you want to ban Donald Trump, it's your right. I do not. I say this as someone on your platform. I say this as someone who could be affected by big tech in a massive way. Let me give you one example of how I could be affected. This show streams on many things. We now do video. We're on YouTube. We're on Facebook. We do on Twitter. We're on iTunes. We're on Google. We're on loads of different platforms. Wherever you find podcasts, you look at Freedom's Disciple, we're there. By far, and I mean it's not even close. It's like, I think the last time I looked, it was like 20 times the number. 20 times, by far the biggest platform that listens to this show is on Apple. Whether I don't know why that is, but that is just the way it is. Apple, uh, Apple Podcasts, by far. It's like 20 times the next number in listens. It's huge, huge disparity, right? Apple tomorrow could go, you know what? We don't like John. We don't like Freedom's Disciple. And you're switched off. My audience, the people who listen to this show, I some of you would probably look for me elsewhere, but the impact will be major. My, in, my, my impact on, on being able to talk to you will be gone, drastically shut. Does Apple have that right? Painfully, yes, it does. Because I don't have a right to be on Apple's server. I don't have a right to be on Apple's iStore. I like being there. I want to continue being there. But I don't have a rice. What I have seen, the reaction to Donald Trump. If I was in charge of Twitter, if I was the, the bigwig on Twitter, would I ban Donald Trump? No. I don't believe in shutting ideas down. I even defend people like the, the Ayatollah of Iran, who I think is one of the dirtiest scumbags in the world. Is literally under Mount Rushmore of bad people. Even though that Mount Rushmore is getting bigger and bigger and bigger by the decade. It's no longer three people. It's about 133 people. Do I defend his right to be on Twitter? Yeah. Why? Because what is the solution? Do we believe in putting ideas like his horrific bad ideas in the corner? Or do we like going, okay, we can address it. And having conversations. And while I'll never change the Ayatollah's mind on how to live. 
there might be people who are like, maybe he has an idea. And maybe if I have that conversation with them and we beat them on the battleground of ideas. I don't believe in silencing people. I defend people's rights to speak even when I find their content absolutely vile. When I find their content disgusting, I'd be the first person to go, I don't agree, I'm not watching, I'm not a participant, but you have a right to do it. And if people want to watch you, go for it. It's a fundamental right. But the solution, how do we solve big tech? This mindset of feeling helpless is something that needs to change. If you boil down the two ideologies at its core, the right are supposedly capitalists. You're the greedy capitalist. You want to take advantage of everyone. You own all the big companies. You want you, All you want is money. And the left, well, they're just a bunch of socialists, right? They're just a bunch of big government progressives. Are you seriously telling me that when it comes to technology, that all of a sudden on this issue alone, the socialists and the big government progressives have the advantage when it comes to innovation and creativity over the greedy capitalists? Is this the one ground we're willing to cede? If you don't like it, here's my advice to you. Stop doing what we've done for the last eight years. Social media is worse now than it was eight years ago, but it's always shown this potency to be on the side of the left. Now, we can keep arguing about it. We can keep going to Congress, and they can give their fancy statements and their fancy you know, worded things, and they'll even have video clips where they get Jack Dorsey or, or Mark Zuckerberg, and oh, got him hot under the collar, didn't he? Does anything change? No. Or we can actually start looking at the real solutions to technology. They don't lie in Congress. They lie in the free market. Now, I know what people will say right now is, but John, what about the servers? You really think that just because they own so much of the servers, nothing can do? Then you get into the server business. If there's clear needs, and you have a lot of people, even if you just take all the Donald Trump supporters, 72 million, how does new business form? You create a need. Now, here's a market that you don't need to create a need. You don't need to go to the right and say, hey, I've got this great product. Is this great technology. It's a server. It's a, it's a social media platform. We won't silence you. I don't need to sell you on that idea. I don't need to convince you, say, come on, please give me your business. Please come to my platform. Don't need to do that. I just need, you need to go, hey, here's a platform. Here's a server. And people will come running to you. You don't need to create a need. The need is already there. At least 72 million people. And by the way, it's a lot more than that. How do you solve these problems? It all boils down to stiff, simple philosophy. And it's not left versus right. It's do you believe the government has a role? Do we have to ask our king? Do we have to petition our king to solve problems? Or do we petition ourselves and understand it is our responsibility to make the world a better place? Right or wrong, that is the hill I will die on. I will always make the case of if you have problems, even problems I don't agree with, like global warming, you want to solve it? Don't ask the government to solve it. Go support Elon Musk. Go buy a Tesla or some other person who, who believes in that type of energy but makes it really cool. That's how you solve problems. finish up today's show by talking to you real quick about the future and I'm gonna cut I'm gonna pull no punches 
we're about to enter really, really bad times. And they're not going to be fun. They're going to cause us a lot of pain. They're going to cause us a lot of hardship. Whether it's via government intrusion in your life, whether it's people letting politicians and the media put you and pitch you against each other, whether it's churches not standing for anything, just accepting what the state says, whether it's the tyranny that's coming from coronavirus and the economic hardship that is coming, and it is coming our way because a business has been shut. When this ends, the pain and suffering will be of biblical proportions around the world. Why? Because we're masking all the figures right now. Because there are businesses operating right now that are technically still operating, even though they're closed. But when it comes back to opening up and, hey, you can, there are no restrictions, just go for it. You're going to see a lot of businesses going, we're not opening. And it's not going to be the big businesses. It's going to be the small businesses. The people who employ one, two, three, four, five people. But you're also going to see it when it comes to your debt, which is just exploding everywhere around the world. Every country is just borrowing money it doesn't have of mega proportions. We're also starting to see more and more acceptance of government. You see, one of the things that annoyed me this week with so many of my friends on the right where they accepted, oh, look, Europe, Merkel was like saying Trump shouldn't be banned. Yeah. Do you know why she said that? It wasn't, she wasn't making a stand for Donald Trump. She wasn't making a stand for free speech. France, France did the exact same thing. Russia did the exact same thing. It wasn't because they were standing for Trump or free speech. It was because they don't think companies should have that right. They believe they are the only ones. They are the moral arbiters of society. It is their duty. It is their obligation. It is their responsibility to silence people they don't like. Is that a power you're okay with the government having? You're starting to see people talk about edu re-education camps. I know exactly where this leads. This leads to a really dark place. So what is your responsibility? Over the last couple of weeks and going forward, I'm going to talk to you about what's happening in your country and around the world. And it's going to be painful to hear. It's going to be hard to hear. At times you're going to get upset and think it's hopeless. I don't want you to think that. I want you to think about, we have a choice. You see, what is happening in your country right now is you have been so far removed from your founding principles that your foundation is no longer the Constitution. It is no longer the Declaration of Independence. It is no longer the Bill of Rights. What it is, is the acceptance that government is somehow your savior. And to get back there is going to be painful. It's going to require sacrifice. But the question of what's going to happen going forward, how it's going to affect your life is this. Do you stand for these principles? And when I say do you stand for them, I mean are you willing to sacrifice everything you have for them? Because we're now entering times where if you want to have any bright future, it is means involving a lot of pain and a lot of sacrifice. Now to those who are scared about that, it's always happened that way. We call them the greatest generation for a reason. We call the, we look back on people like George Washington and Thomas Paine. Like, because of what they did. Because of how they changed the world. James Madison, Thomas Jefferson. There's always involved a bit of sacrifice. Does that mean we all got to go to war? No. I am not your war guy. 
I'm not the one who will ever say to you that now this is when you pick up your pitchforks, guys. Pick up that bayonet. Pick up that AR-15. You know, your assault rifle. Not that guy. But if you are that guy who says that has to happen at some point, it's down the road, but it has to happen. If you want to get to that point or you believe you're, that's the future, now is the time to start making the case. Because it is our responsibility to defend the idea of America. I don't join you with the violence part. That's not my job. My job is to make sure, if you do decide to fight down the road, that you have wasted every other opportunity that didn't work. That you make the case for freedom. One of the things I fear for your future is, because you have become so partisan, because you have become so tribal, that because you have become so political, that the whole debate of the future of America is going to revolve around one man. Are you a pro-Trumper or are you a never-Trumper? The answer can be both. The answer can be neither. The answer isn't about a person. The same way as much as I talked about the Republican Party earlier on, where are you pro-Washington or anti-Washington, or pro-Coolidge or anti-Coolidge, it isn't about a person. It's about an idea. We need to start making the battleground of America not about left versus right. Not versus top versus bottom. Not based on race or sexuality or Christ or religion. The battle of America has to be about the idea. Do you believe in the idea? And if you do, are you willing to share it with everyone that you know? But not through the guise of politics where, hey, I believe in the Bill of Rights and this is a great set of principles to live by, but vote for this person. Because here's the truth. If you believe in the vast majority of principles that you founding fathers fought and died for, and fought and set up for you, the vast majority of people in D.C. don't believe in them or don't know them. So why would you sully those great principles and those great men with men who are not great? You really think that Mitch McConnell or Kevin McCarthy know the founding principles of America? Pick your politician. Oh, but my politician's different. Great, you're one politician. You have two politicians. You have three who have some credibility. But you're really going to sully the idea because there's so many people who will go, I just don't like the Republican Party. I just don't like Trump. I just don't like the Democratic Party. If you'd say every principle that you say is right and you agree with them, you will sully that by mentioning a political person or a party. Because their opinion will automatically change. Because they have a predetermined notion of what they think about that. There is a place for politics. There is an important time for politics when it comes to elections. But how many people do you know in your inner circle right now who are silent? Who are like, well, we fought the election. See you in 2022. Now this election might be slightly different. But the vast majority of people, the most vocal people I see on social media... It's only when it's an election. Oh, you gotta vote for my guy or you're, you're the enemy, you're the problem. But then the election comes and passes, whether they win or lose, they just go away, back taking pictures of their dog. Oh, look, my dog. Oh, look, my food. Oh, there's a nice meme. And then it comes to an election. Oh, oh, it's all about this person. It's all about that person. It's always about people. Never about the idea. Maybe, just maybe, it's time to look at the problems in America and kind of go, this has been happening for a hundred years. Since Woodrow Wilson. Maybe it's time we change course. That we offer an alternative. That we offer an alternative to America. That is not based around government. It's not based around anything other. Than you are an individual. And as an individual you have certain rights from God. And that you ultimately have the right to pursue your happiness.
that you have one opportunity in life. You may live five years or a hundred years or something in between, but you have one opportunity and you have every opportunity to make the most of it. And that's what we should do, whether it's to stay at home, whether it's to be a philosopher, whether it's to do a podcast, whether it's to join the military, whatever it is to create the cure for cancer, that we should be encouraging you. And it doesn't matter whether you're left or right, top or bottom, black or white, gay or straight, Democrat or Republican. That is the power that we need to start talking about. I see my friends on the left talking about unity. At the same time talking about re-education camps. I can't speak for anybody. I can only speak for me. I'll be damned if you ever send me to a re-education camp. And if you do, I'll be damned if I'll comply with your rules. I will be a voice for freedom, no matter what. And I'm not saying this because I'm a Trump supporter, because if you know me a long time, you know that's the furthest thing that I am. But I was never a Trump hater. I'm not a political supporter. I'm a principle supporter. That's it. I will be a voice for liberty. I will be a voice that says America changed the world before, and it can again. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be, let's sing come by all, let's all embrace freedom, and everything runs smoothly. There will be pain. There will be suffering. But your best days can still be ahead of you, if you're willing to work, if you're willing to sacrifice, and if you're willing to accept your responsibility of how you make us better. Because if you think it's only going to be in D.C., I'm sorry, spoiler alert, you're going to lose. The great thing about America is you, the individual. Not me, I'm pointing at you as the individual. It's why I finish the show each and every week the way I do. I salute people who I believe are bigger than an individual, that they serve an idea. Whether you like them or not, your police, your firefighters, your emergency personnel and your vets, they are true heroes in my eyes. But I, the last thing I want you to always hear, and I'm finishing up the show now, is that America is great because of the premises of the Tocqueville. America is great because Americans are good. It's not about Donald Trump. It's not about D.C. It's not about left or right or Democrat or Republican. It's about you, your responsibility, how you act. The future of America is in your hands. You can either pawn it off to the politicians, you'll lose. You can either have no hope and think, oh, John, everything you've just heard, you said America's got bad days ahead of us. We're all over. You lose. Or you can actually take up the grit, take up the fight, take up the slack and go, you know what? It's going to be hard, but we're going to do this. And guess what? To those people who are that motivated and that's your role, I will be your biggest cheerleader. I'll be the one saying, yes, you can. It will be hard, but you will do it. And why do I say you'll do it and I'm so confident? Because of your history. You defeated the English not once, but twice. You overcame slavery. You've explored everything from the swamp to the stars. You've overcome Nazism. You've overcome communism. You've overcome terrorism. You'll overcome this. And yes, you overcame Obama and Carter and all the horrifically bad presidents that you've had. And you will overcome this if you work for it. Until next Saturday at 12 noon Eastern, have a beautiful and blessed week. Freedom versus freebies. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network.